0: Chloe.
1: Oh, far out. This is my first Zoom meeting. I managed to go through entirely 2020 unscathed.
0: Where are you? Is this your car that you built?
1: This is my van. I'm at a work site right now. Yeah, my camper that I lived in for a year when I worked as a carpenter in San Rafael, and it's also my work van. I can throw all my tools in here and drive around Connor the Carpenter.
0: Can I see it? You did such a good job,
1: this corner. We'll Thank you. So, this is the back, obviously.
0: Wow, all the, the lights!
1: Yeah, it's got the fancy lights, and it's all nice and wood paneled. So there's a bed and a kitchen area. It's got a kind of cool sink. It comes with a, oh, it comes with a doggy.
0: Aww. <laughs> Aww. Aww, hi Bubba. <laughs>
1: yeah and it worked for it worked really well it does everything the bed comes down it's it slides forward and it's a queen oh cool yeah so you can sit as a couch when you're chilling
0: just beyond the kitchen sink is at the driver's seat
1: yeah the cab's up front
0: yeah i got it are you building this for people now too is it ready to go
1: i did this one thinking i would uh, drive to san francisco and sell it to somebody with you know a bunch of dough laying around and then kind of fell in love with it <laughs> and I, re- I realized I could work in San Francisco for the wages available there and not pay rent and it was a no brainer like why would I sell it when I'm like somewhere I can't I think like, would have to go rent a place
0: right
1: yeah so it was a huge come up being able to do it super cheap and then not pay rent
0: so where did you park it and where did you shower
1: that was a, it's a great question <laughs> So, very fortunately, my sister lives in San Rafael in Marin County. So I paced around her, but it got tenuous because two days after I showed up, she let us know that she was pregnant. (laughs) She just found out herself, and they live in a tiny little closet apartment. And we were just parking in the front in the driveway next to the landlord, which became (laughs) as you'd expect it to with an 80-year-old landlord curmudgeon. (laughs) paint shop next door <laughs> was run by a bunch of really nice Guatemalan guys. And they're like, yeah, you can shower here. And so I, for a full year, I pretty much lived out of the banh mi shop for breakfast, the taco stand for lunch. And then my gourmet brother-in-law, <laughs> Billy, I'd go to and see my sister and, and brother-in-law every evening. And it was kind of all right. The best part was when I started parking on, in their neighborhood and not like in their driveway anymore. And I would just pick a different nice flat spot that was close to the main road, but not on it. And then eventually they, she texted me a picture of a screenshot from next door. Somebody, <laughs> so, yeah, somebody was like, do you know anything about this strange van from Texas?
0: Oh my God.
1: And it began, it was this whole, like, little slice of humanity in the text. People are like, well, I'm just concerned if he's going to take local resources. And people are like, I don't see a problem. (laughs)
0: Local resources of what? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, my brother in law posted one. He's like, I think I saw the vandal in question. He was uh, warming his fingerlessly begloved hands behind a 55 gallon drum lit next to the 7 Eleven. I chased him into his van, which was full of a large canvas bag labeled Local Resources.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. People are so ridiculous.
1: Yeah. It's funny the, t- the taste of like, you know, it's like the liberal haven, Marin County, but it's Tesla liberals who are NIMBYs at heart.
0: Yeah, man, there's a homeless shelter that just went up around here in Koreatown and it's kind of the same way, maybe not as so intense as SF liberals, but LA Mm is pretty blue almost to an extreme where it gets to the point where it doesn't make sense. And this homeless shelter went up, right? And they're like, oh, wait, 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 but uh, we don't want (laughs) it anymore (laughs) because we have to live with it now, are you kidding? Nah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Human rights when it's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It's funny. So, <laughs> hey, what's up? It's nice to see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want you to talk about farming. I feel like you have so much to share, especially what you learned in Hawaii and mm-hmm. what your, I guess, intention behind it is.
1: Well, I've been thinking a lot about this since you uh, brought up, and it's interesting because. You know, I so I'm 27 now and I moved to Hawaii when I was 18 and I stayed there for a little over 3 years straight, mostly working for one person who was kind of a local legend on the island. And I went there with the intention of just learning how to work. My main hobbies in high school were listening to Radiohead and smoking pot. <laughs> and so I had I had an idea that wasn't the formula for university. And I didn't want to just go take out loans and waste my money right away. So I figured, okay, I'll I'll actually do something real with my hands and learn how to work and get an ethic. And that just rewired my values. Didn't know anything about organic farming. My sister's like, you like like pot? Go grow pot in Hawaii on an organic farm. So I went and that part of it quickly faded away for the, the wholesome aspect of being able to you know, grow your own food and and live with people that you rely on, you know, somebody has to milk the cow every day, so sign up for Sundays and people will like you, and you know, what it meant to, you know, we hear it a lot, living in community and doing these things, but, but not many people have the chance to actually see the same MFs every day <laughs> and then learn to get along and really be cohesive, and it took, it took a long time when you're 19 and you're and you think, you think you know a lot of things and you think, you know, you can get things done with what you do know. It can backfire. And so I had a lot of really powerful leadership lessons. Yeah, I could go on and on about farming and how great it is and how many skills I learned and the really sense of value it gave me. What it did for me and what the the most powerful part of it was, it gave me, Tangibly, it gave me a huge set of skills. You learn a little bit of everything as a farmer. You have to obviously be a skilled equipment operator if that's the level your your farm's at. You have to be have carpentry skills. A friend of mine mentioned that he observed this when he was really young. He's like, when you're a farmer, you gotta be like a meteorologist and a mechanic and, and a doctor, You know, a veterinarian. You have to do all these things. And so I, I really took that and I absorbed everything I could at every moment. And you know, I can say I'm really good at driving a tractor. Yeah. And that has come in handy a lot. And fortunately, I've gotten good at carpentry, which now is a huge thing to have in my pocket because I've been able to take that and now where I'm at, start a career and really, I've started my own business this year and been able to not stare down the narrow tunnel that is poverty (laughs) and actually be able to look forward a few months and be like, huh, I think, yeah. And then, then, okay, all right and make investments and things like that. But what's more important than even that side of it is that there's a farm down the road and they had, what did they have? They had firewood, little extra firewood, and we didn't have any. And I was able to go fix up a shed for them. And next week it's going to be their little greenhouse that I'll patch up. And it's different from all my other work where I'm not charging my full rate. This is totally an exchange where I'm able to give something to the community and get it back and have it come full circle. The question was, am I bringing value to my community? Not everybody can be a farmer. Not everybody, you know, can work with the land and and get up at sunrise and work till dark. But it's not important to do that. You should. Everybody should go try it. Woofing is a great thing, especially when you're young. Everyone should take a gap year. Everyone should go farm at ginger johns and get slightly berated by an old manor. (laughs) Cause it's great, you know, when you're young, you have an ego and you think you can do a lot of things. Even if you don't, you just, you just want to appear that way because you know, you don't have any skills and you might as well fake it. (laughs) So if I was to give anybody advice, I was like, I'm, I'm not sure about what to do. Try farming, not to be a farmer, but because it exposes you to so many things, including all the soft skills of individual relationships and a work friend blended environment where you have to be really tactful and empathetic and observant of people's needs. And those skills just go, there's normal jobs. Don't really do that to you. You go work at a you know, minimum wage job and you don't get the same camaraderie as much. Everyone talks about how to hit their job, but at least with farming, you can really be, you know, you can work hard and feel like you don't get paid anything, but the satisfaction of pulling a big piece of taro out of the ground, if you're in Hawaii or big squash harvest, you're, you know somewhere else in the states and sharing that with each other that gives you that camaraderie that can really help foster those soft skills so everybody should farm
0: can you explain what woofing is to people who don't know what that is
1: right so what's woofing um so woofing is if you check these boxes are you sitting at home and you don't really know what to do you have three months six months maybe a year unplanned you don't have a lot of skills and you want to travel but you're actually willing to to be helpful (laughs) because there's a lot of people who learn about woofing and how it's a work trade program where you show up on someone's farm and they feed you and give you a place to sleep and maybe let you borrow their car (laughs) and you get to see beautiful parts of the world. For a lot of people, that's like, whoa, duh. If you take it seriously and actually do the meager amount of work that most places look for, which is, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours. We were at a pretty full... We were an exception to the farm I was at, which was 35 hours a week. But most places don't. They just want you to, you know, pull the weeds and do a bit of weed whacking and help plant their garden and pull up the radishes that the old lady can't bend down for. And and, uh, and it gives you an opportunity to, <laughs> to really to experience something and do something wholesome. And woofing, it's willing workers on organic farms or worldwide workers. They, I don't think they've decided what it is it's whatever you want it to be. It's you on an organic farm, somewhere beautiful. That's what woofing is. You, Zoomer, who I haven't met yet.
0: They won't be Zooming when watching. They'll be listening.
1: (laughs) I'm practically a boomer.
0: (laughs) So it's a website that you go to and you see where in the world they have these opportunities available.
1: Yeah, you pay them like 20 bucks or 40 bucks a year and You get to see the whole gamut and they're everywhere. It's all over the States. It's all, it's, there's a bunch in Hawaii and there's a bunch worldwide. It's a great way to do it when you're young because you need somewhere to stay. And and it's like the being young and having no liquidity or assets and living week to week makes it. So you get a job, you're not paying rent and your expenses are extremely low. You can actually kind of broaden your vision for a moment and observe things around you and not be suffocated by your anxiety of being broke in a few days. And I think that's actually the beauty of woofing, because you can be young and broke and happy for a certain period of time <laughs> until, until the clock starts sticking and you need to start, you know, gathering your nuts. <laughs>
0: As someone who is in their 20s and building the foundation of their life, what are the main things that you found along your journey that has really been able to cement you and who you are?
1: In who I am. It would go back to my experience in the farm of helping someone and not expecting something in return. That's, I think, a huge part of who I am, is that I'm not trying to be someone's hero, but I know if I see someone on the side of the road that pull over and ask if they need help or let somebody go in line in front of you, or you know, there's all these moments you get in your day to day to just be a little more empathetic or give something that you might not necessarily have the most of to someone else who just needs it a little more. And I don't think I would have learned that or given it as much weight if I had immediately thrown myself into the workforce and gone into the scarcity mindset.
0: Why did the farm do that to you? What experiences did you have there that cultivated that character?
1: Abundance.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah. The abundance of food and friends and safety, safe housing. You could always feel secure. You didn't have to worry about, Losing your housing, being asked to leave, you didn't have to worry about your things going missing, you know, your doors were always unlocked. It was really idyllic in that kind of way. Most wolfing situations are like that pretty much anywhere because if you're in a pastoral community, it's it's easy going like that. So yeah, abundance. When you have a lot, you can share and it feels great. And you can bring people in and, and have them help you and you can share with them and you can give them more than they need because it's still more than you need. So that, that taught me that it's possible and the, the phase I'm in now is learning how to create abundance and share it in the paradigm that I'm choosing now. Because if you think about it, it's like, well, how can a 20 year old get their own farm and be able to directly start sharing abundance? And it's hard. It's hard. You know, the person I worked for got in that position because of a series of good fortunes and luck, and there was a lot of perseverance on their part. They stuck to what they wanted to do, and they kept pushing forward, but it's not a paradigm that everybody can follow, for one. So it's like, how do you, you know, you can can go and have this magical experience, and I saw so many people come to the farm. I was there for three years. Three years straight, and so I saw tons of people that came for maybe only a couple weeks, or more ideally, a few, a few or three months, and they would talk about their lease. You know, they were subletting their apartment to somebody, and they had to go back, and or they're, you know, they worked seasonally, and their job was starting up. And I would always wonder, how long is that light going to stay in their eyes, where they're just in the moment all the time here. I did three years of farming, and then I did about. i did very very different things i've still never paid rent ever and now i'm 27 so i'm trying to keep that street going yeah yeah and i've done it by work trading if you have enough skills and you use those to pay your rent for you get a better deal than if you're working a, a lower paying job and having to give so much money to rent every, every month but that's not for everyone either and you have to really hustle to find those opportunities but yeah it was always like you know what how long is that light going to stay in their eyes? And now that I've been away from it long enough, I have that perspective to look back and, and think about how I felt then and think about are are the things I'm doing now going to get me closer to that state again? And of course, also I ask, like, is it important for me to be at that state? And, and it's like, well, no, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, put myself back in my 21-year-old shoes where I'm, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh, driving a tractor around. But I want to now be able to foster that just deep satisfaction of, of being here and, and being a part of my community. It only makes sense now with my perspective of being a bit older. Yeah. Cause at 21, someone will ask me, are you going to stay here forever? And the answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I, in, in, in my particular case, I was being groomed to likely take over where I was working for. If I had really stuck it out, that's, that's what would have happened. And the downsides were you know, profound in that I would be in Hawaii for the rest of my life where people are like, wait, 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 what? That's not a downside. But it, it actually is, you can't, you know, you don't get the perspective of living anywhere else or it's a very narrow point of view. It's a beautiful one. And there's so many people who love it and, and do decide to do it. But I needed to go on the hero's journey and leave and really go have a hard time somewhere else.
0: Yeah, find your way. Yeah. What are some things for you that are helpful that bring you back to this clarity of your own voice? Or do you feel like you've been so detached from the confines of society that you're just there all the time?
1: I'm definitely not Emerson right now. I'm not just hanging out, Zend out in the woods. But say that one more time for me because I really want to think hard about that.
0: yeah. What are some things that enhance the quality and resonance of your own voice and clarity of what you want to create and how you want to create it? Or are you there already Mm -hmm. all the time because you live on the outskirts of society? Because for me, I talk to people like you all the time. Mm-hmm. I am mm-hmm. I live in society more than you do, but yeah. internally I am not. Mm-hmm. I am a rebel by nature and I've never mm-hmm. I've never wanted to be a part of the propaganda in which it serves. So my duty I feel is to be a part of it but not in it so I can bring back these concepts of all of my people that are sprinkled around the world who have these different alternative ways of being and living. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. It's funny because that actually resonates a lot with my point of view now because I have to interact with society and and, and, in a lot of ways I enjoy it. I'm not in the rat race by any means. What brings me back to that (laughs) are just moments or just like beautiful moments slowing down and and looking at, you know, I've I've been lucky to live in beautiful places pretty much everywhere I've been and, and just slowing down and saying, wow, it's gorgeous right now. Or I'm really cold, but (laughs) it's still beautiful. Or just, you know, I've always been able to find a thread of something really nice to appreciate despite any situation or any low I've been in, because I never really feel lonely That's that reason. But now that I live in where I, I kind of feel like I'm in both worlds, you know, I'm living, I'm, I'm basically living rent-free on a gorgeous property beyond my wildest expectations that I just moved into a couple months ago that I, I had no idea about. The opportunity just came up and I, I said yes. And I'm living in a community that has huge, huge, incredible income disparity. And so now I've realized that because of this, I'm immensely privileged to not have to be worrying about paying rent every month or just getting enough hours for work at a minimum wage. And I realized that, that I really owe my community my time now because that's what I have as a more abundant resource than anything else. Part of starting a business is complex and stressful It's also given me a ton of time because I don't have to work for, you know, if I'm not working for 20 an hour and I can work for two or three times that much, then I can work less because I'm not trying to kill it. I'm trying to slow down and be, be a part of where I am. So I've realized that, you know, now that I've, I've gotten these skills from farming and luck and fortune have gotten me to a place that I, I, you know, can use those skills. Then now I have a real responsibility to my community. find ways to give back and not just to not just to give back because that just sounds that can be too restricting because that makes you feel like the only resources you have to give are your own but I've realized that I have time to engage in local government if I wanted to which is wild but I actually could
0: I can see that for you
1: yeah there's a cause here that I'm starting to dabble in. And if I ever get elected, this video will totally get (laughs) brought up and played. (laughs) But I would love to help establish uh, a universal basic income in my community because I live somewhere where rich people fly their Gulf Streams and Learjets into the private airport and their driver picks them up in their Tesla and takes them to their little mansion. And then there's a trailer park in the middle of town where all the, the less fortunate you know, the service industry lives and overwinters in preparation for the the summer, you know, hustle. So a lot of people are out of work for half the year too. It's laid bare what my new cause is now, seeing as that I love being a part of my community and meeting my neighbors and, and being helpful. I'm a working class person and I have this huge resource now of time and skill that I've gotten through farming. And not only that, because you can, you can acquire skills like that and, and just be happy with it, but because of what farming gave to me in terms of what value is, you know, feeding people. So it really gives me this base to stand from when I decide what am I going to do with my time and my skills to people who need it. But I'd also like to see how I could affect change here in my community on a re- like a really big scale. What's the single most thing I could do with my time? So now I'm sorry to just derail you, but I'm plugging UBI all the way.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Because
1: that's the solution. Give poor people money. Sorry, Limbaugh, but now you can't tell them it's a bad idea anymore. It's <laughs> poor people tend to spend their money on bills and rent and food. And there's a pilot program. There's a bunch, but there's a pilot program in Stockton where they gave 500 people. No, I'm sorry. 125 people, 500 a month. And they gave it on bank cards so they could track what they used. And none of it went to things that you would use disposable income for. It was all for responsible usage. So that's not a skill. Uh, politics isn't a skill you get through farming. But, uh, but maybe it is because it makes you aware of your community's needs. And it's a, good, it's a good foundation to stand on. I don't feel like I'm too good for any job. But I also know my value. And in politics, a lot of people forget that. They usually just know one.
0: Right. Where did you say you are? Are you in Stewart Island?
1: I'm on San Juan Island.
0: San Juan Island, okay. Yeah. Close to Washington,
1: right? Yeah. An hour and a half ferry. You drive an hour north of Seattle, and then you get take an hour and a half boat. And you get pretty much closer to Canada than anything.
0: Got it. And how yeah. many locals live there?
1: There are 17,000 people in the county interspersed through like a dozen-ish islands. And then there's 7,000 people here on San Juan Island, which is where I am. I live in a town called Friday Harbor. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Connor, I think you should really run for office.
1: Perhaps. You don't have to run to do it. You just have to be an effective lobbyist.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's a funny word to use in in an altruistic context, but lobby your local government to effect change, you know? You don't have to be the elected official. You just have to resonate with with the ones that are there. But ultimately it could be something I'm interested in. For instance, there's a, the power here is run by a co-op, which sounds great. Power co-op, you know, they can go on their website and they have beautiful charts and spreadsheets to show how much the power costs and how much they pay everybody, but they also ask for $450,000 a year for their uh, general manager. To stay competitive, which is just a phenomenal amount of money that I just don't understand why somebody needs to bring power to seventeen thousand people to just to hit go on anyway, I could get into that. And and there's some there's a everybody's bill has a fixed rate that they pay just to have power and then they pay for their power on top of it. And it doesn't matter if you make twenty million a year or twenty thousand, you pay the same fixed rate, which I think just could immediately be changed. Oh, Luna, you want to come up? to come up? Yeah, you come up. i got my puppy dog.
0: Oh, oh, sorry, girl. Oh. <laughs> Luna!
1: Luna's the doggy. She'll jump into bed with us every morning. Aw. Yeah.
0: How old is
1: she? She's five. She's Natalie's, but she has become my dog very quickly. Yeah. Aw. Look that guy. He's oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he loves being called like this, like a baby.
1: He looks like he is in a higher state.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he truly does, doesn't he? <laughs> like he's drunk off nectar. Look at those eyes. <laughs> like I've been meditating for 40 hours, <laughs> ready to transcend. <laughs> Give me a kiss What kind of dog is Luna? I love her hair, her coat
1: Luna's so beautiful She is a Border Collie um, Blue Heeler
0: Oh
1: Yeah Yeah. She has a great coat She's a sweetie They're very much one person dogs Well in our case they're two person But (laughs) They'll bark and growl at anybody Who's not their lover Isn't that right honey?
0: oh really
1: <laughs> Aww. oh but she's a sweetie
0: Man, how great are dogs
1: dogs are awesome natalie and i moved in together and i didn't have a dog and i was actually <laughs> i love dogs but i was a little bit worried about just the whole thing it's yeah Now it's it just it just makes life so much better <laughs>
0: Wow, her coloring is so beautiful.
1: Yeah, she has really, really pretty speckles. Speckles,
0: speckles. Oh. Yeah, milk and cookies. You <laughs> think
1: you're gonna stay there on
0: San Juan Island for a while?
1: I would love to stay here, full stop. Yeah. There's serious challenges to finding housing. There's nothing for rent. If that was what, you know, like I, I didn't even know this place existed till uh, our, our mutual friend from Hawaii called me up about it. Because he was living here with his wife and they decided to go back to Hawaii instead of staying here. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. And so there was a bit of a time frame and a, and a contingency. There was an agreement with somebody else that he had. So Natalie and I are are, uh, are filling up that contingency. So it's a three-year opportunity where we are. We gotta buy a place. Yeah, thirty percent of houses here are vacant. They're vacation rentals, and this is where people build speculative homes to to earn passive income. Mm -hmm. And it completely dilutes the nature of community when every house is a you know you know that in L.A. What that's like. Place has a housing crisis, and everything's Airbnb and characterless in, in, in areas. And so they're trying to avoid that. So now I'm a full supporter of it. So we're just going to pay the property tax and, and that'll wash our hands of having to manage a rental, which is nice. Yep.
0: Damn. Yeah, that scarcity complex is really, really tough to get through. I had to get through that because I grew up working class, immigrant family, never had enough, you know, if I didn't finish my plate, it was, oh, you better eat that because you, you don't know when you're going to eat again. Mm-hmm. The kids in Somalia don't have food, so you better eat it. so it was always this feature <laughs> <laughs> distilled into my ear, so when I became an adult, it was a strong unwinding. I had to do all of that, mm-hmm. and I lean more on the side of giving almost too much to a fault mm-hmm. so i i 've had to learn to reel back a bit
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: But whenever I see people like that, like millionaires who are cheap, I'm, sh- I'm just so shocked.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's worse than the millionaires who are.
0: Well, Connor, I think you're such a good example. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what else is in store for you. And I'd say just
1: do it, you know? embrace the fact that if you're 18 right now and you don't plan more than a week ahead or just for the weekend do this go farm and let somebody else tell you what to do for a while and who knows you might start to really learn a lot and figure things some things out and it'll help you no matter what it'll never be a waste of time even if you're cold and wet and digging holes that keep filling up with
0: water you think you'll go back and say hi
1: yes yes definitely (laughs) i definitely owe a hello
0: i want to as well yeah we should try to plan something
1: i was just thinking that yeah (laughs) that'd be fun
0: yeah all right connor thank you
1: right on chloe thank you so much ciao